Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and your guest today is Tanisha Harris. She is best known for being the runner-up on last season's The Voice and is now heading into the North American tour of Hairspray as Motormouth Maybell. She's an incredible person. She grew up on R&B and gospel and became well-known on The Voice for singing classic rock songs and now is going into musical theater. It seems like she can do pretty much anything she sets her mind to. And case in point, she's she talked about this several times in the interview, but she thought that she was too old to audition for The Voice and beyond the chance, had lost her chance actually to to change her career to change her life and she just went out on a whim auditioned for the voice got a four chair turn and now is starting the next chapter of her life she has no idea what's going to happen but she's taking everything with a huge smile on her face before we get into it, please follow me on Instagram and Twitter, theater underscore podcast. Follow me on Facebook slash official theater podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with the lovely Tanisha Harris. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here you go. One, two, three. My guest today may be best known being the runner-up on the recent 2020 season of The Voice, having received a four-chair turn. Starting in November 2021, she will be joining the forthcoming North American tour of Hairspray in the role of Motormouth Maybell. Make sure to visit hairspraytour.com for the latest info on cities and dates and catch her in a city near you. Tanisha Harris, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you, Alan. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to see you. I... I want to dive straight into this this moment that I I know personally I will never experience. So many people want to know this. What did you feel being on stage of The Voice receiving not one, not two, not three, four freaking chairs turning around of all these iconic music legends that all want you? What what was that moment like? Wow. Um, it was breathtaking, to be very honest with you, and a little overwhelming um, because uh, I, I remember going up the steps and I've said this before, but it really is true. I remember going up the steps telling myself, just don't trip. Don't trip up the steps. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take that back. So don't trip up the steps because I had these cute heels on. But I just remember thinking, oh, my God, OK, uh, I have to get my nerves under control. And people don't know I had a complete meltdown behind backstage really? before really? yes a complete meltdown um i'm not ashamed to say that because it's just very real um i was it was just a lot hit me at that moment um going out in front of these icons as you say these legends and um singing and 
then for some reason, I just felt pressure. Like, what if they don't think I'm good enough? And what if I don't think I'm good enough? And it was just a whole lot. And then I said, oh my God, I'm too old for this. What am I doing here? And I'm looking around at all of these younger contestants and I'm saying, okay, maybe I should not have done this. I literally for about a good minute just had this rant in my head uh, before I went out. And then all of a sudden I just broke down. I was like, oh my God, I'm really here. This is happening. And uh, I didn't think that it would happen. I didn't think that it would, that moment would come back around for me. And the vo- the voice coach, the vocal coach came over to me and she just kind of rubbed me on my back and she said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm really not. And I, I mean, it was, a, <laughs> it was an ugly cry, Alan. It wasn't just a cute cry. It was a like one of those kind of moments. And, um, and she just took a moment and, and let me rest my nerves and reminded me why I was there and that I did deserve to be there. And I needed that. And I went out on stage and I just said to myself, you only need one chair, Tanisha, just one chair. Just get one chair and you're good. And John turned around and I was happy with that. And then Nick turned around and I was (laughs) like, wait, wait, I get to choose between the two of them. And then Blake turns and then Kelly turns. And I was like, this is unbelievable that they all turned around and they heard something that they said, I want her on my team. And um, being able to choose in that moment, yeah, that's a moment I will always, always, always cherish for real, (laughs) being a four chair turn. Oh my gosh, you said so much in there that I that I definitely going to circle back to uh, because there's there's so much to unpack about everything. But staying staying in the in the in the voice for a second, uh, okay. when you watched the when you when you watch back at the clip, right? You watch the episode and you mm-hmm. see the other side of the chair, right? Because when you're up there, all you're seeing is the back of chairs, right? But then you watch the episode and you, and you get to see what they're saying to each other, the faces they're making to each other, and, and were you like, oh my god, you know, what am I doing up here? I, just the. <laughs> Speaking personally about myself, the level of imposter syndrome that would just be escalating Ah. when I'm watching these people just be like, oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. She's awesome. And I mean, well-deserved, right? By the way, you are phenomenal. But when you did you have a different experience watching the episode back again? I did. It was funny. We had a big listening party. I was at my church and, you know, a big crowd of us are there watching. And it was a first for me too, just like you said. So watching their faces, watching them, you know, kind of go back and forth, like, huh, you know, the eyebrow raises and the, just the little Mm -hmm. small innuendos. And, and I was like, wow, they, I mean, they really legit did like me. And so I was just, yeah, I was just blessed by that, honestly, and and overwhelmed all again. And I was crying watching it. Um, so it doesn't take much to make me cry. So that's a disclaimer. Let me just say that. <laughs> um, so I was, I was crying watching it again and, and just thinking, wow, this is my reality now. This is life changing. To say the I least. I love that. <laughs> and, and you chose, you chose Team Blake. I did. And- that's why I'll just because your background is like not not because Blake is bad. I don't I want to I want to stop yes, there. Yes. I don't have anything against Blake. But but you are you are R&B. You are soul like where your background is, is coming from the church. Mm-hmm. And so Blake being country in my mind does not fit. Why did you choose Blake? In so many people's minds that didn't fit. That is the, <laughs> that is the million dollar question that I get all the time. They're like, oh, my God, you were on team Blake. Wait, why did you pick Blake? Um, <laughs> and, and to be honest with you, for one, Blake has the most wins on the show. Blake mm. is absolutely loved and revered by so many people. So I wanted to 
um, be on a team that I thought would give me a longer opportunity to be on the show. Um, some would call it strategy, but I, I just really wanted to go in that direction. And I really am a country buff, believe it or not. Um, I had a crush. I said it on the show, but I had a crush on Kenny Rogers growing up for many, many years. And um, <laughs> believe it or not, I think it was something about the beard. I don't know what it was, but I just I was in love with Kenny Rogers. Um, and then in addition to that, too, I also wanted to be somewhere that would show so many different sides of me. I don't want to be an artist that gets boxed in. Yes, Gospel and R&B soul is definitely my foundation. It's my background. But I sing so many other things. I sing rock, pop, country, jazz. And so I wanted to be somewhere that would really give me the opportunity to showcase all of that and not be a one trick pony, if you will. Um, so that's I'd really love, why I went there. <laughs> I love that that the songs, uh, most of the songs that I saw you sing were all classic rock. Yep. Right. And yep. so that that to me, I mean, you're breaking the mold, you're breaking the stereotype. Exactly. And, and, and I love it. I absolutely applaud you for that because it was Thank a brilliant you. choice. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, uh, of course. And uh, and you were saying that, you, I mean, you do want to break the mold. You do want to not be boxed in. And so now we're literally here talking because you're about to be in uh, the national tour, the next national tour of Hairspray, yes. right? So like, where did where did this come from? And why, why, why all of a sudden when you've got like record deals and the voice and you could do recording artist kind of career path, well, you got to take, uh, I'm not going to say a detour because I don't think it's a detour at all, but why choose this fork in the road right now of going uh, of the musical theater route? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I do think that one of the biggest dreams of mine has been to get back into theater. I've done theater for a number of years. Um, I've done Avenue X in Philadelphia. I did Little Shop of Horrors. I did Gospel at Colonists. Mm. So there was a few shows that I had done that kind of just kind of gave me that musical theater fear fever. And I wanted to get back into it. And I really didn't see what way to do it, to be honest with you. And then I had no clue that this national platform would give me the opportunity to be seen by uh, directors and, and people that are casting for something like this. And the opportunity came up and I really did have to take a moment and think, um, do I want to pursue my music right now or do I want to go forward with this opportunity? And I told myself, okay, if you don't, you're going to always wonder what would have happened if you did and who knows if it had come back around again. So I think that, you know, music is something that you'll always be able to do. You'll be able to do it even while you're doing this as well. It's kind of a great marriage of both. So you got to do it. And I just kind of sat on it for a bit and I told him, yes, I jumped at the opportunity and what a great role and a great message to be able to take to the, to the nation right now. So um, I think that I will definitely have an opportunity to still saturate the market with some great music for my fans before I go on the road, but this is definitely, I think, the right direction for me. I I think that is brilliant. <laughs> and and the, the ability to, to I mean, you sit down and go, you're going from city to city on the tour, or you will be, and then you, that's an opportunity to reflect and to write mm -hmm. and and just to, to really, uh, you know, find out where you want to go. I think it's I think it's great because from the from what I know about people who kind of get swept up into this industry, uh, the recording artist side of things is just it's I mean, musical theater hard, is is hard. And the independent artist or the recording label artist is is that much harder in a different way. Yeah. And given what you've gone through personally in your past, which I'm, I want to get to in a second, it seems like you are you are just resilient. And and you think you think you think about 
strategy. You said strategy, right? Team Blake and all that. Um, you think about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, and how I want to be different. And it's apparent to me, you know, in the 10 minutes we've been talking already that that you are, you're, think, you're always thinking four moves ahead. Yes. And this was not, though, the first time you auditioned for The Voice. That's correct. Right. So you said, you said when you were having, you're talking about your breakdown, you said uh, you weren't sure if it was going to come back around for you again. Mm -hmm. So, and let's, so can we talk about your, your son for a little bit? Yeah. Um, I was supposed to audition August the 5th, 2011, and he was diagnosed August the 1st, 2011, uh, diagnosed with ALL, acute leukemia lymphoma, and our entire world obviously stopped. Um, my son had gotten down to 86 pounds mm. and I knew that something was wrong. For months, for about three or four months, we just kept going back and forth to the doctor and we could not get a correct diagnosis, but I knew something was wrong. We had just really moved to Georgia. It had been maybe less than a year. And um, and then this happens and we didn't have any family, any support. We're just here. So I called back home to the doctor's office in Maryland and asked them, please tell me what I should be asking for, because um, I can't go back to the hospital and not have the right answer again. And they told me different tests to, to specifically ask for. And we did. And I demanded that I said, we're not leaving until you do all of these tests and come back with what is going on with our son. And sure enough, that was August the 1st, we got the actual diagnosis. And I remember um, my son looking at me in the hospital and he said, mom, I still want you to go to your audition. I, I was mm. <laughs> I was baffled. Like, how can you even consider that right now? You, how can you think about me and and that right now? And I told him, absolutely not. I, the only thing that matters to me right now is you getting you better, walking you through this journey, because we had no idea what to expect, what was going to happen, whether my son was going to be here or not. Um, we just knew that cancer is an interruption. And it came in and that's exactly what it did. It interrupted our entire lives. And that was a very, very difficult journey for us, Alan. It really was those three and a half years of treatment, um, that time of just watching him, touch and go moments that we almost lost him. Uh, just uh, all of that. And I, I remember we even watched that season of The Voice from his hospital bed. And, um, and he, and he I was laying in the, in the bed with him and he said, mom, I really, really hope that one day you get a chance to, to go back and do that. Cause you should have been on that stage. And I told him, I said, son, if it's meant to be, it'll come back around. Don't worry about that right now. It'll come back around. And I literally had put it out of my mind. I literally had. And then I get the email that they were coming back to Atlanta all these years later and that they were doing an audition and asked me, hey, do you want to audition? Oh, my gosh, no. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I said, no, absolutely not. No, I, I literally had told myself I was too old. I, I had told that lie to myself that I was too old. I shouldn't do it. My time had passed. If, if it had been a couple of years after his diagnosis when he was getting better, then maybe so. But here we are eight, nine years later. Why in the world would I chase that dream again? And it was him. It was my son that stopped me and said, now, wait, mom, remember, you said if it was meant to be, it would come back around. So here's the opportunity. Why wouldn't you do it? I think you should do it. I said, I don't know. I don't know, son. I don't know. Let me think about it. My life is in a different 
you know, different path now. I've got a full-time job working in accounting. Maybe I'll just be happy doing that and retire and that. And my husband looked at me and he said, you know, you're not going to be happy if you don't do this. And, and he was That's right. a good husband. He was so right. And when he said that, I thought about it and I, I responded back to them a couple of days later and I signed up for an audition spot and the rest literally is still being written. I won't even say it's history. It's still being written. Um, but yeah, I went and I was the only one to make it in my room at that time and move forward to the next round of auditions. And it was just an amazing experience. All of it that I still sometimes sit and unpack um, and and think, wow, that really happened. And it really came back around. And he was able to be a part of the process with me this time. So that was such a full circle moment. Um, you know, you know, our our uh, season ended up being uh, affected by COVID and we mm-hmm. had to end up finishing the season at home. Uh, we weren't even sure if we'd be able to do the season. And they came up with an idea, which I applaud them for being able to do. And they sent us a bunch of equipment, but basically said, we'll, we'll walk you through how to set it up, but you're going to have to basically run it on your own. So not only are you singers, but now you have to be tech. You have to be camera crew, lighting crew, your own makeup crew, hair crew, all of it. You have to do all of that yourself. And so um, he said, mom, I help you. He's going to school for graphic design. So he, it, this was right up his alley. So he ended up being my camera and lighting crew. And it, it's so funny because by the end of the process, they had kind of become on a first name basis with him. And when they would come in the room ready to record me, they said, is Trenton with you? <laughs> I said, yes, <laughs> yes, he's here. He is here. <laughs> and they said, oh, okay, well, we know you're going to be good then. We don't have anything to worry about. So I loved that he was able to be a part of this story that's yet being written and that he's here, honestly. Oh, that's, that, that is life-changing. Life-changing yeah. for him, for yes. him to be able to interface with like this high-end production yes. production crew, right? Because yes. oh, it, it's going to open doors. And I, you were talking about, you know, being with your son. I've got two little boys and uh, mm. uh, yeah, it, it, no, no question that if anything like that happened, I'm like, no, I'm giving up the rest of my life to make sure. Exactly. If to I make sure they're okay. I could have moved that mountain for him, I would have. And I, mm-hmm. I knew that I couldn't. So the best I could do was at least walk the journey with him. And here we are on the other side of it. Well, take me back then to to the when you were when you were younger and like what got you into singing? Where did you start performing? And like we were talking about the R and B and the gospel background and all that. Where did where does all of that come from? Um, well, I started singing at a very, very young age, literally at the age of five. I was singing with my family, uh, my cousins. We would all get together and sing, and that was in church. And my mom and her sisters had a singing group, and they would travel up and down the uh, Lower Eastern Shore. Um, and we'd go everywhere, literally all weekend long. It didn't matter. We were in school Monday through Friday, but by Friday night, we knew we were going somewhere um, that they had to sing. And it would be like that the entire weekend. Uh, and that just kind of became the thing for us. It was it was exciting. It was exhilarating to watch them uh, sing, to watch them perform and, and what we call minister and, and for them to make that connection with the crowd. And I just remember growing up saying, I want to be able to do that. And uh, I had no idea that my mom would push me the way that she did. But of course, for her, it was you got to be singing gospel. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that was that was the that was the caveat. That was the caveat that you have to be singing gospel. There was nothing else. And um and so my dad would take me on on rides and it would just be the two of us and he would turn the radio to R and B. So that I'd kind of get some exposure to other music. And I absolutely love, love, love that he would do that for me because I started to hear other genres. I started to hear other things and and think, wow, they, I even hear the similarities to what we sing in gospel in this other music. And it moved me. It moved me. And I knew then that it was something that I was supposed to do. I wasn't quite sure what it was, but I just knew then at a very young age, I was tied to music. Um, it's, it's literally when I sing, it's like breathing to me. And the moments that I would not sing, that I stopped singing, because I did stop singing for quite a while when my son was sick, um, it felt like something was missing. And mm. so I'm, I'm really grateful that he exposed me to that and told me that it was okay, that it was okay to listen to other music, that it was okay to love country, it was okay to love pop. I would run home, um, get off the bus and run into the house before my parents got home and I'd turn on the videos so that I could listen to the videos and, and watch them and that's where I found Ronnie Millsap and I found, you know, Hall and Oates and I found <laughs> Kiss and all of these people that I started to fall in love with as well as the R&B genre. And I was like, wow, it's a whole world of music out here. Wait a minute. And I'm falling in love with Tina Turner. And, and it's just all of these different people that um, really were intricate in my exposure to music and my love for music. That is so beautiful. <laughs> I, I hear this a lot in the common thread or, or about why people get into singing and performing. And it's, it's a lot about, um, it's kind of, well, I was going to say it's a lot about who they are, but I guess what I mean by that is, is that they're not whole without it. Mm-hmm. I have if to that agree. makes sense. Absolutely. I can definitely relate to that. Absolutely. Um, it, it definitely feels like something is missing if I don't have it. Um, and so I, I, that's another reason why I feel so strongly tied to it. And I also want to then now be able to be that same vehicle for somebody else and give them something that they can relate to. Music is so beautiful because it is the tapestry of our lives. There is a song or a lyric for absolutely every emotion, good, bad, high, low, it doesn't matter. And, and I love that there are so many artists that have given that to us. So then now I want the opportunity to use my platform to give that to somebody else because somebody needs that. They need to be uplifted. They need peace. They need to cry it out. They need to laugh it out, dance it out, whatever it is. And I want to give them a safe space to be able to do that and experience that through my music. Um, So, (laughs) yes, I can identify. What What do you like to write about? Oh, gosh. Um... Well, when I'm writing music, uh, because I write, I journal as well. I journal. Um, I, I'm writing a book as well, a little bit about no me. No kidding. I'm, I'm, I am. I am. I'm taking it chapter by chapter. I only got a couple chapters left, but I am. I'm kind of diving deep and letting people see uh, a, a bit more of me. And it's a healing journey. Um, you mentioned mental health earlier, but it, you know, it is, it's a healing journey. It's important that we are honest about our stories. And sometimes that's, that's, that means embracing the ugliness of it as well, because when you do that, then you're able to really find the beauty. And once you find the beauty and heal, then you can help other people heal as well. Um, you'd be surprised how many people can identify to your story, but we don't know it because we don't tell it. 
And so mm. that's kind of what I'm doing in my book. Um, but then I also, when I'm writing music, I literally just write from my experiences. Um, whether it's, you know, something that's making me feel great at that time and it's a great happy song, or if it's something that's making me feel sad and I just have to put words to it and get it out. Um, but that's usually where I pull from, um, there's a song that I released a few weeks ago called Let's Change the World. And that song literally is just a reflection of what's going on around us. It's talking about how our nation is so divided, but we need to get back to love for humanity. We need to get back to seeing each other as people first, not financial or social status, not color or religion or sexual orientation. A lot of times we see those things first and we judge people and we judge them harshly and that's unfair. We should just see people as people first. And once we do that, then I think that the element of kindness will return. And that's what we need. So that's what that song is about. Let's change the world. So it just it, it's a, a myriad of, of everything. What's around me, what's in me, um, my thoughts, which are many. <laughs> 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 so I, I write I write out of out of all of those places. I think um, if I may suggest a follow up to that song, write write something that is about um, all we need is a good alien invasion to bring <laughs> us all together as as a planet. Would you like me to write a song about that? The aliens invasion and the yeah. aliens are coming. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the aliens are coming. We're we are all people. Can we please just not care about race anymore and and just all be one planet? Thank you. Please Pretty and much. thank you. Now let's go. <laughs> Yes, now let's okay. go make friends with the aliens with the because aliens. we don't we don't want to assume they're bad either. Either exactly. Take me to your leader. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Well, let's let's dive into let's dive into the mental health a little bit, um, because you were saying, I mean, before you go on stage, uh, uh, for before this four chair turn, like the four chair turn is just like the beginning of of this life-changing experience that is incredible and up to that it feels like you've got um this massive amount of maybe stress or anxiety or what's going on in the head what caused this all of a sudden this outpouring of of emotion to cause the breakdown you know the more that i um embark on the things that i have dreamt of doing the more i realize how much i have limited myself and, and that's just a truth that, you know, the things that we often say we want to do, we wish we could do, if the opportunity really presented itself, more than likely, we'd probably talk ourselves out of it and, and think of a million reasons why we shouldn't or we can't or this isn't the right time. And so I had one of those moments and I really had to step back and realize, now, wait a minute, you've prayed for this, you've asked for this, you've dreamt for this. And I literally would have concerts in my bedroom when I was a kid. I would line all up. I literally would. I would line up all of my stuffed animals on the bed and I would do this even into my teen years. It doesn't matter. All of my stuffed animals were lined up. That was my crowd. That was my audience. And I would have a complete concert right by myself. And so I literally did pray for moments like these. And now it's here. And I think that sometimes we dream, but there's still an element of doubt. Sometimes we dream, but there's still an element of fear. And mm -hmm. if I would just want to encourage people to just do it anyway, even if you're afraid, do it anyway, 
um, because you're worth a try. And I think that I had so many things in my life that made me think I wasn't worth it, that made me think that I wasn't good enough. And in that moment, I really started to believe those things. Why am I here? Me? Why am I here? And I just had to take that moment and step back and wait. Okay, wait, you you are good enough to me. You were made for this. You have fought for this. And and so now that you're here, don't talk yourself out of this moment. Um, It was really just me. It wasn't even a lot of external resources. That was all me that I had to confront and deal with in that moment. And I'm glad that I did. And I'm glad that I still did it shaking. I still did it afraid. I still did it thinking my voice isn't going to hold out. And I got out there and just let it all go. I used all of those emotions and and let it go. And <laughs> and I got four chairs. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, now, here's a truthful moment. That was not the only meltdown that I had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I did have another one. Um, before I sang um, Diamonds, which was my uh, knockout song, Rihanna, Diamonds, mm-hmm. um, I was with the vocal coach and I was real comfortable. You know, sometimes when we get pushed out of our comfort zone, we get afraid too. And so I was very, very comfortable in the key that we had chosen and the rendition that I was doing. And I remember the vocal coach said, oh, you're giving me chills. She's like, that's great. And then she stopped and she said, but can we push the key up a bit? I just feel like you were playing it real safe. And I literally looked at her and said, no, no, ma'am. No, thank you. (laughs) And she said, well, are you sure? Can we just think about it? And I just stood there and I looked at her and I said, okay, if you really want to try, we'll just try. She said, well, it's just you and me in the room. Let's just try it. And if it doesn't work, then we'll tell the band to change the key. I just want to hear it. And so I said, okay, fine. So we changed the key. We went up higher and I sang the song and it came out. The entire song came out exactly the way that I wanted it to. And I, when we got done, I looked at her and I broke down crying again, Alan. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. And she said, she said, what are the tears for? What are the, why? What is that? Where is that coming from? And I just looked at her and I said, because I really realized that there was a large part of me that doubted myself that doubted that I could do this. And, you know, my dad passed away in 2004 and he was definitely one of my biggest supporters. And he Mm. would always tell me, shine, baby girl. And it's like I could hear him saying that in that moment as I'm singing that song. And so when I finally got on the stage and got the opportunity to actually sing that song, it became so much more than just lyric, so much more than a moment, so much more than the knockout. I wasn't even thinking about the knockout at that time. In that moment, I just thought, okay, if this was such an emotional moment for me, somebody in this audience is going to need to hear this and feel this as well. So let me just take everybody else out of the equation and just sing this song the way that I really feel it. And that became one of my most watched performances and best performances on the show because I really, it was a message to me in that moment. It wasn't a competition. It was a message that you're beautiful and you need to shine. And just because you shine or the next person to you shines does not mean that your light is any less bright, that you all can shine. Um, and so, yeah, that that was another moment, defining moment for me, a pivotal moment, if you will, for me. That's very, very indicative, I want to say, of uh, I feel like what your performances on stage can be and are going to be. Because if you can 
get out of your own way. And I and and this is a problem a lot of people have, right? And you're just like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and try that. And if I fail, it's okay because I got seven more shows this week <laughs> to get it right. But the the ability to dig into that deep emotional well and put that out there is something that you cannot teach. Mm. You can't. I mean, people people can get in there and you get these acting coaches for years that are, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that are like, yeah, acting classes like therapy, you have to uncover, you have to uncover. And you're the where you are, all of a sudden, it's like you're breaking down barriers. These stories you're telling me, it's like you've got these walls, these multiple layers of these walls up from childhood and from earlier in your adult life. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just knocking that one over. I'm going to step over this one. And then you get to the other side. And the wall wasn't as high as you thought it was. Exactly. It is so liberating. It really is. And then I'm the type of person that I'm like, well, if that was the case for me, I want to take some other people on this journey with me. Listen, that wall yes, is not as big yes. as you think it is. Let's do it. Let's knock it down together. And and I'm I'm glad that you said that. Thank you, Alan. Because I do when I when I do concerts, when I do shows, moments, I, I like to call it an experience because I really I tell people that this is a safe space. We're going to cry together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to heal together. And when you walk out of here, you're going to be better. That's literally what I say, because I do. I want them to have an experience, not just with me, but with the words, with the lyrics, with the music, with, um, with just, just the moment. I want them to walk out and feel like they were seen, they were heard. All of the things that I felt like I struggled with um, in childhood. The truth is that there are so many other people who have struggled with it as well. So I want people to feel seen and feel heard and feel important without the fans. There is no show without the fans. There is no one buying my music or buying tickets. So I, I want to appreciate them when I go on the stage with what I do and give them my absolute best. You, you've got, you've got such a, a wonderful perspective on life, right? You didn't become a child star. So I want to say, like, you you know, you were an accountant before <laughs> you, your appearance on The Voice you mentioned. So someone said to me once that they feel like child stars, even in their adult life, are still sort of frozen in, the, in that mentality of, of where you are when you become successful and famous. Because mm -hmm. that's what, as much as you try, everyone else sort of continues to see you like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yep. Jaleel White, to me, is always going to be Urkel, but he's not. Urkel anymore. Exactly. And he gets right? typecasted. And, exactly. Right, right. And so you've got you've got these things. So now in your life, you've, you know, you've got an adult son now. You've got uh this wonderful marriage of of decades and and all of these life experiences to look back on. And just now yeah. in your life, you have become famous and you have become successful oh uh, in, in this area of life. Right. Like <laughs> we're, we'll leave out we'll leave out the spirituality. We'll leave out the other ways you can call yourself yeah. successful. Right. Yeah. Um, in the traditional sense of successfulness. Um, but uh <laughs> Does this give you like a, a, a bit of perspective? I know that you said this is just the beginning and like it's not history yet because it's still the ending still being written. Mm -hmm. And but are you do you have like mantras? Do you carry things with you? Do you keep like, uh, uh, you know, your own mental health and your own sanity? Um, I feel like I, if I was in your shoes, I would have to develop some sort of meditation practice so that I know that I just stop and remember like, oh, 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 yeah, like a year ago. Yeah. I, this none of this existed two years ago i wasn't even i didn't even want to do this yes 
Yes, um, I do. I, I actually have an affirmation wall um, in my bedroom. It's also where my vision board sits. So I sit up and that's the first thing I see <laughs> in the morning. It's the last thing that I see at night. You're probably not surprised. That's why you're laughing at me. Um, but it is, it is so true because I, I never want to lose sight on the fact that things really can change in a moment, good, bad, or indifferent. They can. And so, um, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I also don't want to lose sight on the fact that I have fought as hard as I have to get here and waited for this moment and for it to actually be coming true. I now am not only standing on the shoulders of other people, but there are others who are contacting me and are standing on mine as well saying, you have inspired me to go after my dreams. You have told me and showed me that no matter what age I am, that I can still do this. And, you know, when you put your life on hold for your family or for, you know, other things that may come up in your life, because life happens, that it really is okay to still pursue whatever it is that you wanted to pursue, that is still a possibility. And so, yes, I do. I do have to take moments every day to just reflect on where I am, reflect on where I'm going, try to make sure that I always have a plan. But, you know, I understand that you know, I, I have to depend on God and and however this is supposed to happen, because this definitely is not at all how I imagined it happening. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and the interesting thing is three years, three, maybe four, three or four years ago, I did a vision board. And one of the first things on my vision board that you look at and see is Broadway. And really, yes, yes. Big red and gold letters, Broadway. And next to that is a television set um, uh, on a picture of a television set, because I said, I want both of those things. I want TV. I want Broadway. I want theater. I want to be able to go back into that. And there's some other things on there as well that I'm yet waiting on. But um, but to look at that, it kind of gives me a moment to just sit back and be thankful. And I think that we don't we often don't take that time in life to just sit back and be thankful. We're always on 100 thinking about what we have to do, what we don't have. I, I'm, I fall guilty to that as well sometimes. But it's important to just take a moment and stop and say, well, wait, let me be thankful for where I am and how I got here. And and that I still have, you know, more left to do and more left to give. And so I, I do. I have to take those moments on a daily basis. <laughs> So is that is that overwhelming to to think about the unknown that's in front of you right now? Mm, oh my God, yes, absolutely. Because because I know that life happens. I mean, you know, my son is is a great testament to that. You know, you're fine one day and then all of a sudden you're not. So I definitely understand how that is, and I think that keeping that in the back of my mind also prevents me from taking this moment for granted as well. Um, it always grounds me because it literally can change. And you know, just as well as I know in this industry, it is, it, it is, is, is such an industry where you can be hot today and then not tomorrow or within the same 24 hours, <laughs> hot, and then can- <laughs> hot and then canceled. I mean, so, you know, th- th- that's just the culture that we live in, unfortunately. So when you're riding the wave, it's best to just take that moment. And be, uh, be be appreciative and be thankful and just ride it because trust me, that wave is going to come down one day. And so my strategic mind thinks now, okay, I don't know how long this is going to last, but let me figure out how I can create some other residual income and how I, I can create other connections and avenues so that this thing continues to work for me even when I can't do this anymore. Um, and I think that that's important as well. Um, 
So yeah, it can be very overwhelming because you don't know, you know, and then we're in the middle of a pandemic still, you know, it shut down Broadway and it shut down our industry before. And we're hoping that we're able to continue um, even with it still, you know, on the rise now. So it is, it's, it's so uncertain and it's too many variables on a day-to-day basis. So um, yeah, it definitely can be overwhelming, but um, I take it one day at a time as much as I can. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. So I want to wrap up this episode with three closing questions, three standard closing questions I ask everyone. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? Um, My family, to be honest with you. They are my safe space and my launching pad all at the same time. So my family, yeah, I want better for Mm -hmm. them. And then, so the next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Mm. I would advise them and myself. Um, It's funny that you would even say this, Alan. Um, (laughs) at, (laughs) at At the end of each chapter of my book, I'm writing a letter to myself at that age. So I'm kind of yeah, I, this is just yeah, real important that you even said that. So um, I would say don't stop believing in yourself. Um, you'll get a million no's, but it only takes one yes. Um, and and you are worth it. You're good enough, even though you can be the best you. And that's, <laughs> that's all you can do. You will get a million no's and all it takes is one yes. That is, that's the quote. That's the quote of the day right there. I I think it's brilliant. All right. Last question then. This is the hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my God. That is a hard question. Oh, oh gosh. Hmm. The theater, does it matter? Movie, does it? Does it matter? Interpret it however you. I leave. I like to leave it open ended. Interpret it however you want. Oh, unfair. Um. Oh gosh, that's a good one, Alan. I'm. I usually don't get stumped. I am super stumped here. Um. Oh my gosh, there's so many. I don't get to choose one. <laughs> I would have that to you're say on a de- this. you're on a desert desert island with a DVD player and mysterious <laughs> power to play that DVD. What are you watching? <laughs> oh gosh, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to say it's going to have to be something that's going to make me laugh. Um, so it would it would have to be either In Living Color or Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, those are wonderful. All right. <laughs> and so everyone, make sure to check out hairspraytour.com yes. to find latest info on cities and tour dates. And where else can we find you on social media? On Facebook and Twitter, Tonisha Harris. Remember, it's Tone First, T-O-N-E-I-S-H-A, Tonisha Harris. On Instagram, I am Tanisha Harris. You can also go to my website, Tanisha Harris Music. Dot com. If that's too convoluted for you, you can go to T. Harris Music and it will direct you <laughs> to Tanisha Harris Music. <laughs> so, yeah, we want you to keep up with me. Sign up for my Superheroes fan club. We're going to be doing some exclusive stuff for that as well while we're on the road. Uh, just don't want you to miss it. So stay connected. Thank you, Alan. Oh, yeah. Plug plug that. What's the I haven't heard about that. What's the Superheroes fan club? So, you know, back in the 
day, it was important to be a fan club of the artist. And I was a fan club of several of artists. And I would get posters or you'd get a little knickknack or merchandise that they might send you. And so I wanted to go back to that. Um, I think that it's a bit of nostalgia. And people like to feel like they're connected to you, not just on social media, but I also want to give them something else. So, you know, maybe I might be a poster on somebody's wall one day or, you know, exclusive merchandise or come in and experience a pop up with me, whether it's a Q&A or a pop up concert. So I want the fans to feel connected to me and to feel my love and appreciation. And so my superhero was one of my first songs that I released from the show. And it's about my son. So I feel like everybody is a superhero in your own right because life is hard. And so that's what I named my fan club, Superheroes. So sign up for the Superhero Fan Club and stay connected with me. Oh, that that is wonderful. You're such a beautiful person. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. I, I agree. Fan, you. fan clubs are, are a dying a dying breed, yes. I guess, if you could say that. Yeah, <laughs> not many people want to do that anymore because you can just hop on Instagram and talk to people. But getting mm-hmm. that merch, getting that in-person sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. You can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on Facebook slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening now. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Tanisha, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful conversation. I have enjoyed this so much. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.